Voyage. The human toll of World War II was immense, with millions of lives lost. But even for those who survived, the ravages of war would be devastating. For a Jewish couple from New York City, the war had a profound impact on their relationship, challenging them in ways neither could imagine. The soldier sent to fight faced injury or death, while the loved one they left behind coped with the fear and worry of not knowing if they would ever see their partner again. The strain of being separated, only able to communicate through letters and telegrams, and the fear of loss was emotionally devastating for both parties. And even when they were reunited after the war, the trauma of their experiences had a lasting impact on their lives. This is the story of one such couple, Joe and Thelma Sefikar, whose marriage hung in the balance when he went off to fight the Nazis, as told by their son, William. My dad, Joseph Sefikar, was born in 1917, February 20th. He had an amazing life, and he accomplished much for his country, for the people around him, and his family. And the story represents what one man can do. He can accomplish much with dedication, determination, and love. How did my dad meet my mom? Well, they met in 1940, 41. You're not dancing? How about a twirl? No, sorry, I'm waiting for someone. Well, lucky you, someone is right here. That's not what I mean. Buzz off. Ah, oh, come on. Just one dance, then you can be rid of me. I'm being a date, and you won't be very happy seeing me dance with another man. You're Thelma, right? Oh, how'd you know? Like I said, I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm Joe, Joe Sepulchre. But everybody calls me Joe Bape. Oh, I didn't know what to expect when Judith said she'd set me up. And I knocked your socks off. Where are you going? <laughs> Look, no hard feelings. You seem nice and have a particularly good tan, but you're just not my type. Charming, handsome, and smart. It's in your type. What more are you looking for? It, uh... <laughs> Don't be shy. I can take it. It's just... What are you, like 5'6"? I'll let you know that my gams may not be long, but they're gold plate. You just watch. <laughs> well, you're just a regular Fred Astaire. Does that make you my Ginger Rogers? Mm, not quite. Sefikar, was it? Your family goes to my synagogue. Is that Russian? Uh, don't tell me you got a thing against Russians, too. It's Greek. My family came from Salonika six months before I was born to the greatest country in the whole world. Oh, Judith mentioned you do something with the government. Yeah, that's right. I'm in civil service at Alzheimer's. Do you like it? Not bad. It keeps me in Flag Brothers Stompers. Now, you ready to cut the rug? I'm considering it. Yeah, Judas said you don't rush decisions. Maybe. I'm just seeing if there's something better out there. Ain't nothing better than dancing with me in the heart of Canarsie. Unless I was dancing under the stars in Miami. You ever been? To Miami? No. No time like the present. Let's say you and me take the train down there for a little sun and surf. <laughs> well, you're a real crack up. But I don't plan on going to Miami or anywhere else with anyone unless we're happily married. Well, that can be arranged. 
I guess I walked into that one. Okay, forget my one song. That's all I need. You're very nice, Mr. Sefikar. And you do have a certain way about you, but like I said, not my type. Tell you what, you see this dollar? It's my lucky dollar. First dollar I ever made selling pretzels on Carnassi Beach. I'll bet you I can change your mind. Oh, a whole dollar. Big spender, too. For the dance in Miami? I'm not betting my pride and joy over a dance. I plan to marry. And hell, if we don't get hitched, you can keep it. <laughs> Looks like I'm getting something out of this night after all. This morning, the United States woke to the voice of the Prime Minister of England, declaring that Germany and Britain are now at war after the expiration Oy, of the British... does this mean we're at war? No. Roosevelt promised to keep us neutral. But there'll be a draft for sure, and you'll have to register. Maybe. I've heard rumors at the office. This shouldn't affect us. It's Europe's problem. Although, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't mind socking that Adolf in the kisser. Oh, Joe. Now... I'm not leaving without that dance. As the relationship blossomed, he knew that she was a wonderful girl and he had to convince her that he would love her forever. They met in 1939 and after a regulation engagement, they were married January 3rd, 1942. It was a nice wedding. All the families were there and all their friends. It was a snowy Saturday night in New York. And we were very to honeymoon in Florida. Dad had a very interesting uh, experience. Um, he uh, was inducted in March 42 and um, was assigned to uh, Jersey City Terminal as part of a close-knit team that was missionless organized shipping terminal at Jersey, which was just a strategic uh, situation on the waterfront. And he he did receive a recommendation from his uh, colonel. He used that as to getting into the next uh, setup there, which he was uh, asked to report to uh, Yapank, Long Island. And the story was that there he is in an August day and uh, waiting for his name to be called. And before that, the, uh, his uh, soldier next to him fainted. So his first reaction was to help him out and he missed his name <laughs> so he had to go back to, you know, after he was helping the stricken officer, the soldier, and it was about 6 p.m. He retudged, trudged into the orderly room and he said, um, where are my orders are to Fort J, which it was response the uh, uh, commanding officer there was, he says, uh, that's uh, Governor Island, that's Fort J. He says, that's the country club of the East which he didn't know, but it meant that he could commute during the training session, and um, that was good luck for him. And he would take the railroad, Long Island Railroad, over to Manhattan from Rockaway uh, Beach, where he and his, and his family were. The situation that in August 1943, he got his orders to report to Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania, and the orders that read that he, must know Spanish, which was part of his 201 file. And the mosquito netting that was issued as part of that, he said, uh-oh. When he went into the, the commanding officers and um, 
he said, what's going on? I'm going to be shipped to, to South America, said to himself. He really wanted to stay with his buddies. So this whole situation was new to me, but he thought, he said, if I was turned down, what would happen? Neither did I think that um, what would happen if he was approved, but he went in. And the, and the orders were that he was going overseas to Europe, which was a nice way to continue with his, his buddies. And so they were. It was September 10th, a nice first autumn day in upstate New York. He had a three-day pass, was prepared to go on September 12th, but it would be suspended because he was getting ready to go overseas. Why are you packing? The orders came in. We're shipping out in the morning. But it's Yom Kippur. I know, but they won't hold the war for one pious Jew. Where are they sending you? England first. After that, it's above my pay grade. Oh, God. Oh, I can't stand it. Look, don't worry. We'll kick Kaiser butt so fast the war will be over in a jiffy. I'll be back before next year's services. Promise me, promise me you'll come back. Not just back, but when I return, I swear to take you back to Miami for a second, honey. And if I don't make it... Don't, don't talk like that. Come here. If, and that's a big if, I don't come back, become a nun. <laughs> I kid. But don't fall for some crumb. Find somebody who treats you half as good as I, okay? That's impossible. Here. Take this. My lucky doll. You kept it. Keep it with you. Well, that's my ride. I promise to write you every chance I get. I'll do the same. I'll be back in no time. Even if you made a huge mistake in marrying me. I love you, dear. Oh, loving you is wrong. I don't want to be right. Oh, who am I kidding? I always want to be right. You know that. He was overseas on the Queen Elizabeth, bound for Glasgow, Scotland. He arrived there and he didn't disembark because he was on the security detail. My dad would refer to, you know, the battle zone for this floating city, the Queen Elizabeth. And um, his warrant officer named Carter knew his name and said, okay, you're staying on the detail, responsible for guarding secret papers and the detail remain on the ship. We'll have the rest of the headquarters personnel disembarked, loaded on trucks, and were transported to Bristol, England. It was an interesting assignment because, you know, he didn't consider himself as a security kind of guy. And his brief stay was there. Uh, they were strictly enforced a blackout. And uh, it was things that happened there. Well, um, there were women that were floating around on the dock there. I, I mean that loosely, <laughs> but they were there and they made their presence felt. But my dad was a, a sort of unobtrusive of what was going on. And uh, he just was on his uh, uh, assignment and uh, he just kept uh, his eyes straight ahead and his nose clean. He stayed in Bristol, England from October 1943 to till July 25th, 1944 when they shipped out to go to the mainland in Europe. And he said all that happened was prickly fate. 
being chief clerk of the staff section was a responsible job. We discovered that the headquarters was the rear echelon of the U.S. First Army. The advanced echelon was stationed in London, assigned to the planning group SHAEF, Supreme Headquarters of the American Expeditionary Force, which was headed up by General Dwight David Eisenhower and General, General Omar Bradley, who headed the First Army. He was assigned to supervise non-coms, lay out the procedures to implement plans previously de deployed by the general staff, and they had to set up a speedy system. Uh, also for uh, giving the troops uh, some much needed uh, respite, Stars and Stripes newsletter, uh, also USO amid the, all the pre-invasion plans that they would arrange uh, with everything going on, these Sunday tours of the English countryside and um, in Brighton Beach and Bath, but the soldiers much rather stay in bed and uh, sort of cutting logs than going around, uh, going on these uh, tourist trips. But that's what it was. But it gave him a chance to catch up on the letters and involving fears of the heart and their second anniversary on January 3rd. 1944. Over the course of the war, we traded hundreds of letters. I'd send her little gifts whenever I could, her birthday or anniversary. It even got written up in the local paper. One of the newsletters, it shows you exactly what, you know, my mother was a bookkeeper and working diligently uh, to try to help things get through this war. And uh, there was a a special note that was under the heading, a salute to our buddies on the fighting front. And it says, a thoughtful husband is Tech Sergeant Joseph Sefakar, the heartbeat of 34th's little bookkeeper, Thelma. And here is attributable to how their relationship was going during this very harrowing time and missing their loved ones. It said gifts for her birthday, wedding, anniversary, or for no reason at all, arrived regularly, even though Sergeant Joe is busy in Germany. My mother sent a, a picture of her to dad, and when his soldier buddies saw it, they said, wow, she looks like Olivia de Havilland. Everybody came over, they kept bothering him to take a look at the picture. I'd update her on our progress, but the sensors blacked out anything about troop movements, so our messages mostly covered the weather, the food we'd eaten, and how much we missed each other. The headquarters was waiting on the results of June 6th when the advanced troops had landed on Oban, Omaha Beach. And uh, the first major objective was the city of St. Lowe when the uh, ed the rear echelon arrived on July 28th, but it didn't go as according to plan because they were coming up with some very staunch resistance from the Germans that were dug in. And uh, that's what they had to wait for. But they were kept in reserve for just such an event as the advanced troops ran into some obstacles. And the day they got their orders to go to the front, that 
came down with an upset stomach, which at the unit hospital, they said, don't worry, this is a normal reaction. I guess if that was the only reaction, I was definitely okay. The advanced echelon of the headquarters, First Army, was in the thick of the battle on invasion day. But then afterward, the special services for that section of the headquarters was responsible for keeping the troops entertained with films, paperbacks, the Stars and Stripes, there's a newsletter and USO show. Our staff was taken ashore in LSDs. That was Dad's troops uh, that were landing ship tanks. And they were billeted in an area in Valois, France, and they were housed in tents, joining the French villas, and their services were delivered directly to the troops at the front. And uh, one of the first USO shows was Edward G. Robinson, the comedian Willie Shows out of Chicago. The troops and guests slept in tents and had to be use heated water from large vats and metal containers that looked like gleaming aluminum garbage can. One occasion in St. Lo, Dinah Shore, very popular singer and movie uh, star, arrived at their headquarters, ready to entertain the troops and adjoining areas. What was happening it was unknown that the troops were in a state of flux and cleaning up operations that were taking were taking place around us as the troops were breaking camp and getting ready to pursue the enemy. We knew of an engineer paratroop battalion in the St. Lowe area so that they bombarded, they boarded <laughs> our jeeps and commandeered it, I guess, with Dinah Shore in tow and proceeded to the troops area. And the soldiers had just finished their chow and it was perfect timing. They were ready to assemble for their departure, but not before that Miss Shore was able to take out, entertain the troops with her accompaniment on the top of a of one of the half tracks. The music charmed a lonesome German sniper a few hundred yards away, waving a white flag. A white flag. He surrendered, and standing alongside some of the GI soldiers, applauded, even though he did not know or understand anything of what she was seeing. So the stay in St. Louis was short. While we were there, we were billeted in one of the bomb out villages where the building standings were like skeletons. The walls were bombed out and all that remained were the floors without walls. The troops, U.S. troops continued their whirlwind attack on German defenses. In October, 1944, it appeared we were on a holding pattern. The troops consolidated their huge gains from D-Day on June 6th. We had crossed France, pursued the enemy through Belgium, and now we were poised on the doorsteps of the Third Reich. After this advance came to a halt, and during the next nine months, we confronted the most crucial and critical part of the war. Everything hung in the balance as we crossed from Belgium into Germany and scraped forward to our goal of annihilating the German war machine, Hitler and the Nazis. And I was reassured because I had my two good lucky charms, so to speak, that were with me at all times. The Bible that was issued to the servicemen as standard operating procedure, Jewish holy scriptures that I carry with me and still have. The second object 
that I carried with me was my good luck dollar bill. During the war, the course of the war, I managed to have certain celebrities, dignitaries, course of, the, of course the soldiers, and places that I visited and that signed the dollar bill. The number of towns and cities that we passed through are all documented. At first, we write every day, but as the war dragged on, Thelma's letters grew fewer, farther between. I didn't know if it was her new job as a bookkeeper at the department store that was keeping her busy, or her overly friendly manager, Bob, who couldn't help consoling her through this time. The few notes I got back talked about the times he took her to shows on Broadway, or the new shoes he'd picked out for her from the store stockroom. I couldn't sleep couldn't eat. Whenever I had a break, I'd plot ways to separate them. But it was pointless. He was back home and I was stuck on the Western Front. It wasn't just me. It happened to a lot of guys. My lieutenant lost his fiance to some 4F Yahoo who lived next door, found out through a postcard. The war couldn't end fast enough for me. But it also felt like every day was an eternity. I wait for mail call fully expecting to receive my own dear joe letter finally as my time in the services wound to a close i wondered how i was going to tell her that i was coming home and worried about what i would find when i got there the telephone call that made the difference was received at their headquarters on may 7th 1945 the war with germany and hitler was over our shipping orders were issued May 15th. Well, he wasn't busy in Germany anymore. He was coming home on the uh, troop ship and it arrived early afternoon in Manta Midtown Manhattan, June 3rd, 1945. Sylvia, I need those invoices on my desk this afternoon if I'm gonna finish the books tonight. Morning, dearie. Joe! Oh, you scared me. Just wanted to surprise my wife. Came straight from the boat. Well, you look sharp in that uniform. What are those, medals? Three battle stars and a bronze star. Got them right before coming home. What do you do with that? The war's over. Came back home to find my gal and take her back to Miami like a promised. You shouldn't be here. I could, I could get in trouble. Ah, don't worry about it. I sorted things out with your manager. You didn't. What'd you say? Yeah, we'd better go somewhere private to talk. So? What'd you see to Bob? Am I gonna have to fix this? Of course not. I thanked him for treating you so well while I was away. Is that why your knuckles are bruised? <laughs> I thought about it, but uh, no. Joe, what the hell? Where is he? I have to see if he's alright. He's fine, but it doesn't seem like we are. He's my boss. You are totally misreading the situation. Am I? It seems like your job's more important than your marriage. It's not that at all. Then come home with me. We can sort this out there. I'm not going anywhere with you in this state. The war's changed you. Yeah, well, we've all changed, or maybe we haven't. You did tell me that when we met, that you like to see if there's something better out there. Joe! Joe, you stubborn fool! I'll admit, after you left, I was lonely, sad, 
Bob was fun to hang around with, you know, he took my mind off of things, but nothing ever happened. He was never my type. I mean, you met him. He's maybe five foot five with lifts. <laughs> That's right. So, we're good. Not quite. When your letters stopped coming, I thought you were dead. Or worse, you didn't love me anymore. Oh, come on. No, I seriously considered moving on. But like you said, you know, I just couldn't find one schmo who would treat me half as good as you. No, baby. I know it's been hard, but I'm back, and I'm never leaving your side again. Even with everything that's changed? That's right. I'm now a much better dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Always the card. Seriously, Mickey Rooney gave me pointers during his Jeep tour. You still got it. Told you. Now, take a sick day, come home with me. Oh, it's just, I'm all mixed up seeing you like this. Not me. I've never been straighter. I saw things over there that, that shook me. Clearing bodies after the Battle of the Bulge, liberating Buckingham Concentration Camp. But the only thing that kept me sane, the only reason I kept going on, was knowing you were back home waiting for me. Oh, Joe. The war taught me one thing. Hold what I love tight. Don't ever let go. Like this. You never took no for an answer. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Here, take this envelope. What's inside? The last letter I never sent you. And uh, something else. Tickets to Miami. That's right. Second honeymoon. I'll only go if I'm happily married. Well, are we? What do you think, Joe, baby? On <laughs> my discharge from the army, Elmer and I found an apartment on Dame Street in Brooklyn. My son, Bill, was born exactly eight months later, on April 7th, 1946. As a pre-meet <laughs> to usher in the dawn of a new day and era. With all the millions of GIs that fought in this war in both the European and the Pacific theaters, and each one would have stories that unfolded, the good, the bad, and of course the ugly. In surviving the war years, basically, I remained unscathed. I was definitely one of the lucky ones as well as my wife because so many families which were apart because of the ravages of war. I truly realized how blessed we were. Upon his discharge from the army, Joe and Thelma found an apartment on Thames Street in Brooklyn. Joe's job with the VA kept him busy and he continued working for the US government in a variety of roles for the rest of his life. He helped build the Hirschhorn Museum on the Capitol Mall, the Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater, Florida, and the East Lake Library in Palm Harbor. On the 50th anniversary of D-Day, he and Thelma traveled back to Europe where they retraced his journey during the war. Finally, Joe and Thelma eventually made it back to Miami in 1967 for their second honeymoon before retiring there a decade later. True War Stories Mission Report is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Midas, and Dan Benamore. This episode, American Dreamer, was written, directed, and produced by Michael Shamoy, 
based on the book, American Dreamer, a look into the life of my father, Joe Baby, by Bill Sefikar. The book is available on Amazon. A link is in the show notes. Starring Ryan Hurst as Joe and Carolina Bonetti as Thelma. Edited, sound designed, and mixed by Andres Coca. Original music by Derlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening. And subscribe now for future episodes.